Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 40-ish. I, I feel like since this is the, the first episode of the second season, you need something better than that, Jason. Second you want me to redo the uh, redo the intro? Like Excelsior, it's 40-ish. <laughs> okay, here he goes. Ready? <clears throat> I'm so sorry you clicked on 40-ish, the podcast, where apparently we're not created enough for John on a random Tuesday night in November. Wow, that wasn't even good. I know. Do better. I actually, I actually have thought about scripting something, and uh, I tell you what, I, I promise you, for our next episode, I will script a new beginning. And in the in in the truest sense of the word, I'm not going to do any of that shit. It's staying the way it is, or maybe it won't. Who knows? I don't know. No, it's going to stay the way it is. You're lazy. Probably. I'm I'm totally okay with that. So, uh, hey, if you guys haven't noticed, we're joined by a couple of regulars. Uh, I'd like to once again introduce Mr. John Moody. Good evening. And Mr. Lance Abair. Good morning, if that's where you're listening to. What? I said good morning, if that's when you're listening. Oh, oh my God. No, you said something even more discombobulated than this, that. I did. This is your son, Mrs. Abair. <laughs> this is your I think- son. Reminder, Lance, we are recording this. We are. It's there for prosperity, not posterity. Posterior? <sighs> okay. All right. No, no ass jokes. We're too early into the ass jokes. We'll get to the ass jokes. So, uh, gentlemen, we're joined uh, by a special guest tonight. Uh, well, her name is never how you address her. Her, her, her name is, is Shauna Hedgepath, but... I think in my entire life, I've called her Shauna three times and twice have been tonight. Uh, Hedge, <laughs> welcome to the 40-ish podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is um, It's an honor to know that a temper tantrum on Twitter kind of gets you somewhere. I appreciate that. I think we've yes. seen that it gets you a lot of places. <laughs> is, is it because I'm spineless or because we really just want to talk to cool people? Um, I, I think deep down, I think you think I'm like Southern... Um, crazy and you were really not wanting to have your tires cut you know the next time i come to michigan so um that's that's you know i don't know if it's really that you loved me and wanted me to be on here but we'll see oh uh, that's funny that suggests that you're smart enough to find where i am in michigan well, she's got enough people she's got enough people here in the, the podcast and yeah, i'd totally yeah. help out i mean that's not I, I was gonna say i was gonna say i think there's enough people on this podcast alone that would help me find you if i needed to <laughs> Wow, this just took an exceptionally dark turn. I'm going to have to move. But uh, (laughs) before we get too deep, uh, Hedge, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, So I'm Hedge. I uh, was a math teacher for 20 years. Um, Statistics was my jam. Um, Data is dirty, and I love getting my hands into it. And so um, I've taught everything from seventh grade all the way to um, AP stats. I've taught some grad school stuff. Um, and in the best year of my teaching career, had the best administrator around, best school, um, coaching what I wanted to coach. I was coaching archery and living the dream. Um, I decided to leave the classroom after 20 years, lost my mind. But um, so shifting my career at, um, at 40. Um, and I have just a rock star 15 year old son who is just the coolest thing ever. Um, we share the same music taste. So, um, and um, I'm about the size of a fifth grader, so yeah, 
That's pretty much uh, third, third grader. Don't don't give yourself okay, extra okay, inches okay, there. Okay, so here's a I got a couple questions off of that. First off, is your son who uh, guys you should know listens to the podcast with with Hedge on their commutes in the morning? Uh, are you is he going to be embarrassed? To hear you on the podcast. As always, frequently. I, I figured, though, given that you already mentioned your height, so is he your Samwise Gamgee then? Oh, hell no. Um, no, my son, um, he's at that age and that stage where when he goes in to hug me and acts like it's, you know, this very wonderful, loving moment, he shoves my face like right into his armpit, which is exactly where I come up to him. Wow. Um, so <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> So yeah, so he uh, thankfully does not um, share my um, vertical challenges. So nice, and, and you mentioned that you coached archery. Yes. What is that? So hey, aim, shoot, hit the target. Aim, shoot, hit the target again. Yes, my job and, is done here. <laughs> and don't hit each other. Um, I have. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> no, we. Uh, it's target shooting, and so you shoot um, a couple of rounds at ten meters and a couple of rounds at fifteen meters. And um, what I love about it is that, you know, there's no preconceived notion about who should or shouldn't be in archery. It hits every age, every gender, every ethnicity, um, every sports, you know, background or non-background. I've taught second grade girls how to shoot. And, you know, I've taught moms that, you know, thought it looked cool how to shoot. So um, pretty cool sport. Um, But are you packing a crossbow? Not currently. Um, I'm on a business trip, so <laughs> I gotta. I, I gotta ask you: do, Has your your mathematical background helped you in that coaching of uh, archery? Um, I have really, really tried to um, to help get my math background to kind of help me with that, but it really doesn't. Um, but it does. Um, okay. It does help my anger management. Um, so <laughs> no, but um, we. But it's, it's really cool because um, we, we aren't allowed to have um, certain types of um, things on our bow. So a lot of stuff we have to do um, has to be with strings. So if you have to tie something on your bow, like you, it has to be mathematically precise and, um, and that kind of stuff. So that's about that's, it. That's pretty that's – that's a good question, Lance. That's a solid, solid question. Uh, you can take the rest of the night off. Go ahead. It's all right. <laughs> well done. Um so head to, uh, let's start with where I want to – we're going to go all over the place tonight because okay. we have no sense of anything. Yeah, you've heard his um, intro. You said you've t- – <laughs> I'll tell you what, John. You script the intro. I'm not I'll sure you're ready for something really oh. good. I mean, you said – you couldn't even say posterity. Posterity or prosperity? Yeah. I thought it was prostate. I thought it was posterior. Right. Okay, never mind. What, what, what did <laughs> – Whoa. Um, what did Bush always say at the end of marching practice? I don't know. I don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> one more time. Well, yeah. <laughs> one more time for... I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Now I, now I can't remember. Anyway, Hedge, you said you taught everywhere from middle school through high school. Some graduate mm-hmm. course. Uh, I, I have a, a middle school age. Yep. <laughs> right. Where, uh, where was your love? Where did you enjoy the students the most was it the sarcasm dishing out of the high school students was it the kids that you could still shape and mold in middle school where did you land with your uh your favorite place oh that's a great question um age-wise middle school is my jam um it's that they're just at that really funky age where they're trying to figure out who they um want to be and you have a lot of 
um, say so and kind of molding what they think of themselves. So you'll have kids that, you know, especially from the math background that come in and they're like, you know, I've never been good at math. I can't do this. You know, you just don't know my background. You don't know my background. And then by the end of the year, um, math was their favorite class. And you've, you know, completely changed how they view themselves, not only as a student, but as a, a person who is successful in math. And, um, and they're just, they're just really funny. They get my really weird sense of humor. Um, so I love middle school kids. Um, and plus pep rallies with middle school kids, like there's just nothing better. Like you humiliate yourself for five minutes and like they love you forever. Um, I loved high school, uh, courses. I love teaching high school kids. Uh, the only caveat to teaching high school is that you come up to the waste of pretty much every kid that you teach. So, um, that was a little bit different. Um, but, um, the high school, the high school math is probably where I found the most love, but, um, nothing beats teaching middle school and middle school kids are like licorice, like that you either love them or you hate them. And, you know, that was just, that was just my, my, uh, my jam. So mm. they're at the point where they're becoming smelly and they don't know how to control it. <laughs> That's my middle school experience, right? There. Well, you're living yes. that right now yep. at your house, aren't you, Jason? I, I am, but he's he's doing a great nice. job. He's doing a great job. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so who's teaching? His, his younger brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, Shauna, you taught. Look, at that's the fifth time now. I was about to say, who are you talking to? <laughs> right. Uh, right. Who did be? Who, who are you talking to? Had you said you taught for twenty years? Yep. And uh, you did what I did, except I didn't teach for 20 years. You decided there's something different out there. There's something that I'm meant to do. And you made a jump and that jump just happened. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, did you make the jump for financial reasons? Did, was there just an opportunity you couldn't pass up? Were you having a midlife crisis? What in the hell made you leave a two decade long uh, not, not even foray, a uh, lifestyle of education that, yeah. led you, I mean, it's how you and I met was based on the, the same way I met uh, <clears throat> previous 40th podcast guest, John Malstead for the, <clears throat> the, the barbecue episode. <clears throat> we'll get into that later too. Uh, all the, you know, why, what, what caused you to leave? Um, that's a great question because I wasn't unhappy. I was not burned out as a teacher. Um, I'm, you know, I love teaching. I love kids. I love math. I love everything about it. Um, our state had um, implemented a program uh, in a, a small pilot. So it was like in maybe 40 of our 100 and almost 50 districts. And it did really, really well. And so um, our legislator decided to fully fund it for the whole state. And it was something that I had used in my classroom. And um, it was really, really helpful to my kids, especially, you know, kids have to pass that Algebra 1 state test. And that's really important. So um, the opportunity came up where they were going to roll that program out for the whole state. And I kind of sat back for a second and I thought, you know, there are things that I love doing in the classroom, but what if I could have those same amazing things happening in classrooms all over the state? What if I could help teachers all over the state, not just teachers in my building, not just teachers in my district, but statewide. Um, and so I, I just, you know, I just thought about like the 30,000 foot view kind of thing. Um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Mississippi's not like well known for being at the top of the education rank. And that breaks my heart because we have such good stuff going on in Mississippi, but I know we can do better. 
um, and teachers work tirelessly and fearlessly all day long. And so I felt like this was a really good opportunity for us to get out of the bottom of the um, education rankings. And so um, I knew if it was rolled out the wrong way, um, that it might not be successful. And not that I'm saying that I'm doing it the right way, but I just, I know the passion that I have for teaching and I know the passion I have for kids and education and wanting to bring Mississippi out of the, out of the uh, wonderful stereotype that it has accumulated. Um, so I just, you know, I talk to my kid about it. Like anytime I have a question, like a big life decision, that's the first person I have to go talk to is my kid and go, okay, what nice. do you think? And so, um, so yeah, so it, um, Financially wise, you know, it's it wasn't really about the money, because if you know what teachers make in Mississippi, we don't really make that much. And I was happy to be broke for the rest of my life. I just loved teaching so much. But um, I just felt like I needed to do something a little bit, a little bit more. Now, my principals told me he's giving me a year, maybe two. I think the quote he used was go, you know, sow your wild oats out in other areas but, but then you've got to come back um to my classroom and every day I drop my kid off um my principal just gives me that look and he'll like point to a parking spot and like that's your parking spot um mm -hmm. he tweets me every week or so just as a reminder hey I'm holding a spot for you whenever you get ready to come back so um wow it's kind of nice though uh yeah I uh, I can relate and seven years later, that parking spot doesn't exist anymore. So, oh. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to ask a question, and I wonder, I, I want to phrase this correctly. So, Moody, uh, Lance, be prepared to uh, bail me out here. Right. Uh -oh. um, you you yeah, had mentioned okay. that you want to pull Mississippi out from the stereotype that most people see it in. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the stereotype in terms of education is valid or is it total malarkey? Um, I really think it it just depends, but it's not just Mississippi's not just that way. Like you could find the the pitfalls and the the highs and the lows that you see in Mississippi, you could probably find in any school in the country. Um, I think the reputation that Mississippi has of being backwards and, you know, uneducated, just, just the long history of that stereotype lends itself to, you know, for people to assume that, that we aren't very successful. But, um, you know, when you compare Mississippi nationally with, um, like on national exams that, that we were giving at one point, you know, we were holding our own, you know, and, um, and that made me, that made me really proud, but that stereotype is still there. You know, Jason, I'm all over the country and as soon as somebody says, so where are you from? You know, and I tell them, I get that look, you know, mm -hmm. or that bless your heart look. And it's not a compliment, you know, that kind of thing. And um, and so I know that 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 stereotype exists, you know, nationally that we just were uneducated. Um, and I just I want us to instead of being in the bottom in the rankings of, of where people think that we are in education, I just want us to be what I know that we can be. Edge, let me ask you a question, you know, based on what you just said there, what, with the reputation that you, you know, that, or not the reputation, but the, um, the, the notion. yeah, the notion of, you know, what a lot of people have about that state, what, what would be your one thing that you would say either can or has pulled, you know, not, the program that you're working on right now 
uh, aside, mm-hmm. what would be the other, th- the one thing that you say that you could say that would pull Mississippi out from the bottom? Besides um, just, I mean, obviously, you know, um, test scores and stuff like that, but is there, is there another, yeah. I mean, is there a type of kind of a mentality in the schools or in the, uh, um, you know, in the legislature or anything like that? I mean, what would you say? Um, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a very sticky subject. Um, I'll, I will say that, um, Mississippi's legislators have not fully funded education, um, for years. And I know that there are budgetary reasons why they, they haven't done that. Um, cause there are other things in Mississippi, you know, that money needs to be spent on. Um, I would love to tell you that I know what the solution to that is. And I don't by any means think that I, you know, could possibly even be the, the savior for that like that. But I just being able to go into classrooms and bringing like today, you know, um, I got to do a presentation to about 25, 30 middle school teachers and I got to show them Desmo's activity builder. Not a single teacher in there has seen that. And that's something that I've been familiar with since like 2013, wow. Um, and I had like five teachers come up to me afterwards and go, Oh my gosh, like I've never seen anything like that in my life. That's the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm, I'm so glad that I saw that today. I'll have something to use, you know, tomorrow. And, um, just little things like that, like little things that I've learned, uh, based off of the relationships that I've had on Twitter. Um, not a lot of teachers, you know, have, are familiar with some of those things. So just knowing that I can bring something like that into um into some classrooms just bring in teachers resources helping teachers any way that i can just kind of being that support system for them um you know not only with the resources that we provide um but just also just like hey there's somebody here that is just like that is championing for you you know whatever you need you know just let me know well that's Um, yeah that's that's something interesting uh sorry lance Uh, i was just gonna say real quick uh hedge mentioned desmos which is an online free math resource the the Twitter world of math connected educators is pretty strong. So for anybody who's out there listening, there are so many chats that go um, through Twitter in terms of math and math education. It's pretty amazing. But uh, you were going to say, Lance, I apologize. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, what I was going to ask is I mean, to follow up that question. You you're in the what I would probably consider the private sector now, yeah. as far as the, um, as a, as a former teacher, cause we've had a couple different teachers on our podcast over the you know, past episodes. And, um, what would be the one thing that you would see as a teacher now in a, and not in that teaching role, um, that, you could see, I mean, besides this, besides this particular tool that you, like you showed them today, what would be something that you would say that could be that, um, and not that, not that you're going to be, be that savior for them, Mm -hmm. but what would be that one thing that you could say, um, you know, in your experience now on the outside looking in and your experience from the inside out, what would be that one thing that you could say, you know, the teachers could really take this and run with and not, not just even, even from a state perspective, but like, like in just in general, what the teachers could take, you know, from your experiences. Oh, um, I guess, and this is not, I mean, this isn't anything that's, if I'm understanding your question correctly, I don't think that, um, this is any kind of revelation, but 
relationships with kids have to come first. Like, you know, and if, if you've got a, a good relationship with students and I don't mean that you're their friend, like, I don't mean it from that perspective, but like, you know, getting to know those kids and, and having that realization that they know, you know, that they can mess up as much as they want to, that you still understand that they are, you know, that they're young and they're children, you know, even if they're 16, 17, 18, they're still children and they're going right. to mess up and, um, and, and just trying to build that relationship then you can build anything on top of that. Um, if there's one thing I would love to see, um, shift a little bit, um, I, especially like today, it's election day, um, statistical literacy and, and being able to make sense out of some of the stuff that, that we see not only in the media, but, you know, on our social media, on the news, you know, over everything, like just being able to look at something and go, okay, does that make sense? And, you know, to be able to kind of reason through, is that something that somebody is trying to convince me is true? Or is that something that is actually true and not taking something for face value? Like if something looks weird on Facebook and you're like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe that that's true. Instead of sharing it or retweeting it, go back to the primary source and see, is that exactly what it is? You know, um, and, uh, and understanding things like, you know, the, the news uses the word correlation all the time. You know, there's a strong correlation between this and this. That doesn't mean that one caused the other, but they imply it that way. And, um, and just kind of getting kids to, um, and adults to, to understand that. Nice. So we're going to stick with the math theme here a little bit, and I'm going to switch gears. I know you're a stats nerd, and I want to talk stats here in a little bit. But uh, in terms of real-world application, we asked we asked John Malstead this a few episodes back about, you know, why do we even need math? I'm not going to go that direction. I know we need math. I know math is important. But here's the question I'm going to ask you. What are, let's say, three to five, at least three, five would be awesome, absolute math skills that a student should leave high school with to be moderately successful in their lives, whether or not they go into the workforce right away, whether or not they go into college, what are some, what are some basic math computation skills or understanding that they should have? I mean, I, I agree. I was watching election results come in. I'm like, there are so many graphs and charts and percentages and how are they calling a state when only 1% is reporting and someone's losing by 14%. I don't get any of that. But what are some things that you believe need to be true in someone's uh, repertoire of math skills when they graduate to be successful? Now, are we talking like actual standards that teachers have to teach from, or is this like practical, uh, practical application? Practical applications. Okay. So, um, first of all, everybody needs number sense. Um, and I push this all the time. Anytime I have kids in my car, they hate me because uh, if we're at McDonald's and I know that the total is, you know, $5.37, we are challenging each other. Who's going to be able to figure out how much change we're going to get back? before we get to the window and who, you know, the first person that's right, you know, wins the change back or, you know, whatever, um, just basic number sense and being able to, um, deconstruct numbers and put them back together again. Um, to me, that's important. You know, if you're, it, it just kills me whenever, you know, you hear these stories about, um, you know, cash re register, uh, kid rings something up and it's, you know, 542, you give them a $5 bill, they open the register and you give them two extra cents and they just freak out like they don't know what to do. Um, so number cents is, is something that I find is, you know, something that we really need to know how to do. Um, again, being able to interpret graphs, I think is, is really important. Um, but also like 
percentages and, and understanding like relationships with, um, with parts of a number. Um, I wish, I wish the one course I wish we would put back in schools is financial literacy and being able to, um, and I'm just, I'm just speaking from the heart there. Um, you know, and I know that's not something that kids really, they don't see the benefit of it as a high school student, you know, because they're not going to really be into understanding how mortgages work and taxes. And, you know, but I think you could design that course around like credit card rates and um, taking out a loan and buying your first car and um, trying to figure out like, how are you going to get an apartment for the first time? Because you got to have a deposit, you know, you have to have a deposit for electricity, your apartment, all these other things. Um, so kind of doing it from that perspective so that if that student were to graduate from high school and move out, that they would be a fully functioning adult, that they would be able to handle their money um, and, and know that, you know, I have to save some money. I've got to be able to, to budget correctly. Yeah. Where were you uh, 25 I, uh, years ago? Cause right. Right. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not speaking for Jason or John, but I mean, we both, we all graduated from the same high school, but I know I, I got out of high school and was like, what? <laughs> but I wasn't I wasn't a big math person in, in high school either. So Yeah, Lance, I, uh, you were taking the I same class like two years ahead of me and I was in the same one. Right. So <laughs> Well hmm. uh yeah, though the financial part is, is huge. Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I didn't really get a handle on my finance life of understanding up until the last few years, to be honest, um, where I felt confident and could speak intelligently about it. I think about, about Moody living in a, in a musical world where, or mm-hmm. even in, when he's doing graphic artwork where you, you've got, you know, balance and stuff. John, I mean, would you be able to, John, tease us out a little bit of how much math plays a, a part in your everyday life, even though, we, we get an understanding where the balance is with music, but just in general, because I can't even do the computations well, I mean, that you're working on. It's huge because, I mean, as much as you always say, you know, as a musician, you got to remember at the core of that, um, it's a small business person. Right. You know, right. it's a freelance person. So you have to be able to sit there and, um, and like what I'm, what I usually do all the time in the car is I check the mileage you know, of like how many miles do I have left in the car? What's the, uh, what am I getting in terms of, uh, actual miles mm-hmm. per gallon on that kind of thing? Cause I mean, that's, that changes my costs because even, you know, if somebody says, you know, we'll, we'll pay you, um, it was like a couple of years back, somebody offered to pay me, I think it was a, like 120 bucks for a new year's gig, but it also involved, two rehearsals. So already now you're down to $40 a uh, $40 a service. Uh, two of those rehearsals are up in Grand Rapids. So you start doing the thing. You're like, all right, now you're talking about a hundred miles round trip from there. And at that point, you know, that's about three gallons of gas at, I think at that point it was like three ten. you know? So you start whittling all this stuff away. So, it, so you're like, okay, now after that, and then I have to also, get a new pair of pants and things for that. You're like, okay, so I'm really only making, you know, on this instead of 120, like they said, I'm only making about $65, you know, and it's one of those two, as somebody is calling you, you've got to be able to start doing all that stuff in your head, 
you know, so you can start thinking of that. And it's the same thing with graphic design when somebody says, oh, you know, I want this artwork done. Well, what are you thinking? Well, I want this, this, this. And you start calculating how many hours it's going to probably take you and then what your going rate on that is. And um, honestly, there is a sliding scale on that in terms of how intricate is it going to be? Is it going to be something simple? If it, you know, if it's quick, if that's fine. Um, also, it comes down if I have time or not to do it. So, I mean, there's a lot of multipliers that will go in there. And so, yeah, I, I'm i doing math damn near daily on that kind of thing. Not to even mention at work when they have to have me uh, look at things and be like, if we buy this and then sell it to the dealer, how can we make 45 points and still turn a profit? And then you have to go back and be like, all right, I need you to actually lower your cost to us by 3% so we could do this. Or so... Yeah, there's there's a lot more math than just uh, you know being a musician and taking mm-hmm. a gig. Mm-hmm. So, Moody, do you think like when you're doing those calculations, are you doing those kind of like on the fly, or like are you like okay, I'll come back to you with something, just like you know, give me a day and then I'll come back to you, or? It depends. Sometimes, if it's like a good friend I, and it's an easy enough one that I can fix that. You know, because I've been doing my own taxes for a long time anyway, so I always had a sheet that had that calculated all my um, mileage rates. And since I've been doing that for almost 10, 15 years now, a lot of those now it's like, oh, going to Grand Rapids. Okay, it's a this. So I just have a lot of those numbers in my head now just from doing it so much already. So I can usually tell somebody right on the spot if I can take a gig or not. And then the same with give somebody an accurate quote on design work. Hmm. What, um, how about talking about that, something like that head where you, is mental, how important is mental math for stuff that's basic? Obviously. Yeah. You should be able to like, you're in a store and something's like 42% off, which is a real weird thing. Um, <laughs> even as an adult, I had to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I know what 10% off multiply by four, add a little bit. And I'm, I'm pretty close. Uh, in the world of math, is it better to be exactly right or is it better to have a sense of how to solve something and be pretty close for practical purposes? I think it really just depends on the task. So, uh, like, you know, you kind of need to be able to see, you know, like with your estimation, like, is this going to be reasonable? Um, we were looking at a at a math problem the other day and um, the uh, it was about a hiker, I think, going up a mountain and just it was just one of those things that based on the numbers, the hiker was going 110 miles an hour and we're like, wait, <laughs> mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. Um, but um, like in, in, you know, calculus and algebra and all that kind of stuff, most teachers love those types of courses because there's like one right answer. Um, but a lot of teachers shy away from statistics because, you know, there's some variability there and that uncomfort with the variability, like some teachers like nice, you know, answers rounded to the nearest tenth, and I know what it's supposed to be. And stats is just not like that. It's just messy as I'll get out. Um, so, you know, I think it. I think it depends on the task. Like, I think if you, you know, you're grabbing stuff at the grocery store and you've only got a twenty dollar bill and you left your wallet in the car, you know, you need to be able to think pretty. And let's say you left your phone in the car, like, oh crap, you know, am I going to have enough money to to get all of this stuff? Um, it's it's good to be precise, but you know, within reason. So, like, if you're like, okay, if this comes out to be you know, $17. And then like you said, you know, it's seven cents on the dollar. So if I've got, you know, almost $20, that's going to be about this amount of money. And, you know, just trying to, trying to 
rationalize it that way. Um, and everybody says, well, you know, you've got a calculator in your pocket, you've got your phone true, but you know, there's a human pushing those buttons, you know, and that human makes mistakes. So, um, I think it's good to have some type of number sense, but it's just, it's funny that, you know, people will brag about how they, they're not good at math and, um, but we don't hear people bragging about, well, you know, can't read, you know, and that, that's never bothered me before. Um, I just, I would love to see a complete shift at some point where, um, where it's, it's okay to like math, but right. It just, it's just for a lot of people, it's just not, it's like the haves and the have nots. Like if you're good at math, then you have this superpower that nobody else has. And, um, and it's, it's not like that, you know, and, um, well, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Hedge, because I, I hated math, you know, in, in school. I mean, it was one of the one of the subjects that I, you know, I pretty much just sat there and got through it. Um, I didn't uh, I didn't push myself in it or anything like that. Um, I, I use I, I would say I use math quite a bit. I mean, a lot of numbers that I um, I don't I don't do any analysis of data, but I do collect a lot of data and you know manipulate it. But um, and so I use a lot, a lot more now. I don't know if it, you know, I don't know necessarily if I would have had that experience in high school and really directing myself, you know, would have made you know, that much of a difference, but I, I have a lot more uh, respect and a lot more admiration for numbers now than I, than I did, um, you know, especially financial numbers and, um, you know, cause I'm, a, you know, I'm in a, um, a service organization, but, uh, so I'm dealing with a lot of, you know, percentages and, you know, costs and, um, markups and stuff like that. So, but, um, you know, so I, I, if I would have had that stuff back then, I probably, you know, would be a lot more successful than I am now, but, you know, I, I'm using it now and I've gotten a lot more, uh, a, a, more of a respect for numbers and, and math and, and whatnot. So, and plus, you know, back then math was supposed to be boring. Uh, I think we've all had that experience where, you know, we had that humiliating moment in a math class. I had it, you know, I had a, um, a professor that just dogged me like day in and day out. You know, he would be doing an intro about logarithms and he would say, I bet there's one person in here who doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about. Isn't that right? You know, and he would point at me and I'd have to say, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about just like day in and day out, just come up here and work this problem on the board. And I would get stuck and he would just kind of look at the class and go, is anybody surprised? She doesn't know what she's doing. Um, you know, and it just, it was like a, some teachers kind of thought of that as a power trip. And, um, and then just the way that we've spun math education, in my opinion, especially, you know, the teachers that I'm friends with on Twitter, it's just a, the complete opposite of that. Like you'll have, um, you know, classrooms where they're, kids don't sit at desks all day long. There's whiteboards all the way around the room. And from the time they get in the classroom to the time they leave, they're up at the whiteboards, they're working. They're completely engaged the whole time. And the teacher's just kind of walking around, checking in, barely answering any questions. And the kids are doing all the thinking and that's their favorite class. Or, um, you know, they come in uh, eighth grade math, you know, hey, today we're going to talk about, you know, the case of Kristen Gilbert, you know, who is a serial killer. Um, and let's see if we can figure out, you know, what made her case stick out? Like what were the pieces of her case that made it pretty obvious that something sketchy was going on at that hospital? And, you know, without getting into the blood and guts of it, you know, kids get really, really interested in that. 
Um, but it didn't used to be that way. It was like, take this random set of 50 numbers and, you know, do the standard deviation by hand without any context to it. Why? Do you, you think know? that would have made a difference so, back, you know, for us back yeah. then? I mean, for us growing up and if we would have had classes like that, where there were, were more engaging, because I know, I mean, I know students are quite a bit different than when, when we were in school, as far as, you know, they've got a lot more information. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it's like, cool. but do they... I mean, would you would you think that that would have made a, di- a difference back then? Um, I mean, in, in teaching that way, or I mean, yeah. Actually, yeah. can I field this one, Lance? Because my daughter, who's only seven, is like totally into math because oh, of this right. kind of stuff, and it, you know, a lot of it even came from me looking into, you know, and I'm sure Hedge knows that Common Core seems almost to be a dirty word. Uh, especially in some of this, but I mean, I, I kind of looked at it as, okay, I can bitch about it or I could figure out what this is so I could help my daughter when she learns it because she's going to do it whether I like it or not. And she's handling like gigantic calculations in her head that I'm even just like, how are you doing that? Yeah. And she thinks it's the coolest thing in the world. Like we were talking the other day in just, you know, driving and we said, or said something about, you know, um, that I graduated college in 1999 and, you know, she, um, and then she said, well, how old were you then? I'm like, well, I'm 41 right now. You tell me how old I was. And so she just sits there in a couple of seconds and she goes 22. And I'm like, how did you get, she's like, well, it's 2018 did this and this. And I, then I did this, you know, and I'm just in there going, okay. <laughs> um, um, Okay. Yeah. I can tell you her teacher's doing a lot of number talks where they give a problem like that and kids are encouraged to not only like verbalize the way that they think about it, but they try to see like if they can understand how different kids in the class think about it and differences in thinking are celebrated. Whereas before, like you've all had that teacher. If you don't do it my way, it's wrong. If you don't follow these kind of steps, I'm going to count it off. And, um, but that's just, that's not the way the world works. You know, like we need to be problem solvers. We got to think about things different ways. So, like high five to that teacher, man. I need to buy her a cup of coffee. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's even the ones before, cause like a lot of the homework her teacher would bring back is like, it would be one of those things of, okay, do something that equals 10. Now show us three different ways that two numbers equal this kind of thing. Yeah. Not just like, Oh, five plus five. It's like, no, well, what else you got? You know, you know? Kind of interesting. keep telling me, uh, you saying that John, I'm sorry to cut you off. I mean, I'm not really sorry, <laughs> but you're not. There was a problem uh, when I was grad when I was in the elementary program at Western Michigan. Um, one of the mathematical problems that we were presented with uh, turned into a four month argument, like an entire semester. It was getting to an answer for an elementary student starting with the problem, "What is forty one minus 19? And we had to write mm-hmm. entire papers on how to teach that. And the argument was so vivid where, you know, your daughter's probably like, well, 41 minus 10 is 31 minus another 10 would be 21, but it's one less than that. So we'll add it back to 22. I mean, there wasn't, there was no blinking on what she could do right. yet for us. What? And I mean, this is pretty obvious. We had to walk into every classroom and say, here's 25 faces. I've got to teach 41 minus 19, potentially 25 different ways. And there's never enough time for that. So having the, I, I, I like what you were saying, heads, the number talks, the number awareness, number sense. I just, 
I don't know how they're going to be able to do that. I don't know how you're going to do that with any kind of consistency when you've got all these other things riding on you. Now, for you, Hedge, you were primarily a math teacher. So did you ever feel pressure to bring in other subjects? Like, geez, you really should be learning a little bit more U.S. history. Let's throw some math into U.S. history and so on and so forth. Well, kind of back to your point about the number talks, like those are really quick, you know, five to 10 minute things that, you know, you can do every day that, you know, that help build number sense. And if they're done correctly, you know, it's not in addition to what you're already teaching. It can actually help scaffold students to support and lead into what you're going to do that day. So, um, so I, most of the, most of the teachers that do number talks consider those to be, um, it's not one extra thing to do. It's like, okay, this is going to be that mental math, like burst of um, engagement that's going to lead me into the next thing. Um, and as far as like trying to connect to other subjects, to me, the more I can do that, the better. Like I was always in, you know, the history teacher's classroom. Okay, what are you doing with like graphs and data and stats in here? And um, in the chemistry teacher, what are you doing with balance and equations? Like I was always trying to figure out how to frame what they were doing in my head so that if there was some way that I could connect that for my kids, um, I, you know, in algebra two, like kids would tell me all the time, oh my gosh, like this is exactly what we're doing in chemistry. Like, really? Okay. So, you know, during my planning period, I'm like going and sitting in the chemistry teacher's classroom. That's kind of the nerd in me though. If I can help kids make connections across disciplines so that they see that things are not taught in isolation, that they actually do kind of work together. Um, that's a win for me. Um, because kids get buy-in, you know, and they can say, oh yeah, we were doing this in Hedges class the other day, or yeah, we're doing, uh, this chemistry in Miss Fortenberry's class, um, that's what we're doing in algebra class today. Um, the more I can do that, the better. But um, And I know that some teachers kind of feel like that's not my job. That's just one extra thing. But I think that's what makes teaching unique. Like, you know, you've got teachers that that's their jam. Like, they like to figure out ways to make things make sense to kids. And um, that's just that's something that I think is important. Um, and I strive to do that in my classroom or used to. Um, but it didn't seem like one extra thing to me. It felt like just the natural progression of what I was supposed to do. Gotcha. So uh, as we're getting close to the end here, I've got a couple of things. We did something a little different uh, as, as you, as the listeners may have heard, uh, Hedge basically whined and cried and complained and stomped her feet and threw a temper tantrum. I cry. Uh, you cried. <laughs> Face it. I did not you cry. Cried. Single tear, single tear, single tear. Is that like you, that you murdered somebody? Is that what a single tear is? Yes. prison tattoos all right anyway yeah so uh, i reached out to tw uh friends mutual friends of ours on twitter um several of them uh, asking what they wanted to know from hedge which of course means that when we're done with this podcast episode hedge you're gonna have to share this thing out and make sure they all listen but uh, uh i'm gonna take this one directly from their writing uh this is coming oh, from uh, coming from bob it says uh Hey, Jason, long-time oh, listener, first-time caller. Just wanted to know how Hedge keeps so calm all the time and avoids holding grudges. I'll hang up and listen. Mm -hmm. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so um, being the five-foot-nothing thing that I am and hanging out with mostly tall people, I have a little bit of a Napoleon complex, like, and um, it just manifests itself into this rotten old lady that I have become. Um Bob and I and another teacher were supposed to do a workshop together. We were supposed to apply to present at TMC one year. 
And Bob backed out on me like at the last minute. And it only took me five years, I think, to forgive him. But he was forgiven. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's Next a politi- that's a political question. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Bob is quite aware that you're answering this question, just so you know. Um, <sighs> we are going to go to the aforementioned Johnny Barbecue, John Malstead. Uh, Hedge, why do you like such unlikable sports teams? And actually, I asked this question, too, because uh, Hedge's social media feed Largely follows that stupid team from Boston that plays baseball. Oh, the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. What are you born and raised in Mississippi? Yes. Why I don't get it because there's no baseball okay. in Mississippi. <laughs> oh come on! Um, no, we uh, we only got a couple of channels. And I don't know if that was a Mississippi thing when back in the day, or if that was just a, a no technology thing back in the day. But we did get one channel out of Chicago, and um, I the part of town that I grew up on. There weren't that many girls, so I didn't have anybody to to show me how to play Barbies and do dress up. Like we um, collected baseball cards and you know uh, fished and you know climbed trees and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we would watch um, WGN out of Chicago, and uh, my papa would always watch uh, the Cubs play, um, and we would usually root for the Cubs unless they were playing the Red Sox, and then we would switch, and that would be pretty much the only time that we weren't really rooting for the Cubs, so um, that just kind of always stuck with me because um, my grandfather was just like this incredible, like low-key engineer, just brilliant man, um, and so just revered that man, so um, that just kind of followed me. Um, I always wanted to collect like Red Sox cards and then, you know, basketball. I tried out for basketball, walked in the gym. Coach said, why are you here? Get out of my gym. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch basketball and I'm going to watch the Celtics and I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you that I can do this. And no, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, So, yeah, that's (laughs) that's pretty much how I became a a Boston fan. Before we wrap up with the ultimate question, which I'm going to have to have you tell the story to to John and and Lance here. Um, Another question from the Twitterverse. Uh, Nick is really curious about your opinions on a very delicious Canadian dish uh, known as poutine. Oh, there you go. So for those oh who don't God. know what poutine is, it's largely a plate of French fries mm. covered in gravy yeah. and or cheese curds, usually. Um, yep. It is uh, be mostly salty as hell, mostly delicious, but uh, hedge, well, poutine, it's the, the food of, you know, home. You know, anyway, uh, hedge, where do you land on poutine? <laughs> Um, okay. So what, okay. See in my part of the country, um, there is a word that sounds incredibly similar to that word Mm -hmm. that does not represent a, well, it's not what you're talking about. Uh, And so everybody that I can't even say the word, like it's the only dirty word I, I refuse to say. Like, I just, I cannot say that word. But um, it's I, I it's pronounced red socks. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. But I just I can't. Fair enough. I cannot listen to any conversation about that without bursting into laughter because I just. Fair I enough. Can't. 
Fair enough. So the last question I'm going to ask you is, it's a story that I'm going to have to have you tell the guys and the guys are going to pose questions, I'm sure. Um, so the first time I met Hedge in person was the same time I met John in person, which was at uh, Twitter Math Camp in Jinx, Oklahoma. Uh, in fact, uh, the other questions that were posed from Nick and Bob also met at the same place. In fact, we were all on the championship uh, trivia team that was aforementioned. Uh, before we all did our presentations the following day, I got dragged into a Home Depot by Hedge to purchase many, many <laughs> small PVC pipe pieces. Uh, mm-hmm. She was building a weapon. Potato oh. gun? Uh, not that big. Let's go smaller. She was building a marshmallow gun. Oh, and all right. That is her sidearm. Uh, Hedge, would you care to elaborate? Okay. So um, the very first Twitter math camp, I, you know, it was like, let's share something that you love in your classroom. And one of the things that I loved um, using as a math manipulative was a marshmallow gun, um, which is built out of PVC pipe. And, you know, you put a small little marshmallow in it and then you, you know, you have to get the marshmallow out of there. So, um, being in the room of, of people that I was in, um, I was trying to figure out how do I say how we get the marshmallow out of the gun without using the word that I know is going to like be stigmatized with me for the rest of my life. So I'm trying to figure out how do I explain not only how to use a marshmallow gun, but how to, um, exhale, uh, you know, violently in order to get that marshmallow out of the gun. So every possible way that I could think of to talk about where you have to put your lips and how you have to hold it and just, and it just, it just, so that, that is, that is my claim to fame is anytime anybody has anything smart to say about me, it has to do with, so how do you use a marshmallow gun? Well, (laughs) here's the thing though. Uh, John, we need to go build a marshmallow gun. We could probably do that. It's a piece of cake. Nope, it would be a marshmallow gun. Cake gun. Yeah. Cake gun is a totally different animal. Totally different. All right, Dad. I'm telling you. Jeez. Uh, So, Hedge, you actually hold the distinction of being our first (laughs) um, small stature guest. You will not be the only one. I will tell you this right now. We have a guest coming on in a few weeks who is also fun size. She couldn't she couldn't run on the uh on the rides in the theme park is what you're saying. It's quite possible. And it's possible as a fun wow. size person that she also towers over hedge. So, um I just want to put that out there so you're not yeah. So you're not feeling so lonely in that world. So that's cool oh yeah i tell you what it's it's pretty exceptional so um i'm gonna ask you something that i wasn't planning on asking until about 10 seconds ago and here's what i want to do uh lance and john and i are relatively intelligent i'm giving lance a hell of a lot of credit over here although i will i will say you you did use malarkey correctly earlier the, so the crux of this whole thing is knowing how to use words like malarkey. <laughs> anyway, hedge. Yeah, I I rescind my uh, <laughs> my compliment. Oh no, I've already written it down. It is etched in stone. <laughs> hedge, do you? Yo, why don't have... you look up rescind first, kiddo? 
I, I know what rescind means. It means to punch you directly in your gullet. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where's my word of day calendar? I'm really failing right now. Uh, Hedge, do you have a, a mathematical question that you could pose to us that won't make us feel like complete idiots, but that will challenge us enough that we can either try and answer quickly on our own here or that we uh, will save for another episode because we're going to have to look it up. Crap. Is there a, a common mathematical question that you pose to your but students? Like, almost like, okay, a, bye. oh my God. I'm telling you. <laughs> Lance is like taking off his socks to count on his Oh my God. There has to be um, a, a every year you ask this sort of question of your students. I'm guessing, just guessing. Oh, um, no. Um, well, um, let me think. You're giving me something that I can't. John, uh, can you insert a modified uh, Jeopardy theme for us right here so we don't get sued? I'm not a trained monkey here. <laughs> <laughs> That's my my felon music, right? Right. This is not the end of the podcast, um, folks. I'm just waiting on Hedge because I totally. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can, I can't even. No worries. No worries. Uh, taxing you this late, it was just worth the stammering. <laughs> I'm completely good with that. Dang it! Oh my goodness. So. Well, it, we're getting to be about that time, so I want to thank our guest tonight, Hedge. I uh, also want to thank uh, my partners in crime, uh, John and Lance, for joining us on this, the nice. 41st episode, which has now been dubbed the start of Season 2 of 40-ish Podcasts. And um, mm-hmm. because, because it's been publicly stated, that's just what we're going to go with. Uh, any well, parting... Like numbered everything, too. No, but I didn't have it starting till after Christmas. I specifically didn't have it starting till after Christmas. But now, it's going to start now. Because it is going to start now, I guess. I mean, well, you're, you're following really bad storylines. We yeah, finished up player. last week with, with Lance's mom. How are you going to follow that in the same season? You're not. I'm you opening with Hedge. Movies. No, 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 no. no. Exactly. You open with Hedge. She is her own season. It's the hedge season, the season of hedge. Actually, so I feel like that's because it's really small. Yeah, I, oh, <laughs> oh. I, you know what? I'm not even going to say goodbye. That was too perfect. <laughs>